0: Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short. So glad to have you along with us today as we get in the Word of God and talk about its accuracy and its believability. And uh, this morning I want to talk about an aspect of the Christmas story that uh, has come upon great question and doubt by a lot of people. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a movement to discredit the Bible. It's just a bunch of stories. It's not real. We draw inspiration from it. And this modernity or this modernism movement did away with a supernatural God. In response to that, there was a movement amongst Christians who said, we need to get back to the fundamentals. And they became known as the fundamentalist. Now, we often think of fundamentalists today as like radical Muslims who want to blow something up. And we think that's a Fundamentalist, or it came from Christians who, uh, a the definition originally, though didn't relate to the Muslims. It related to Christians who believed the Bible to be actually true, and so uh, this term fundamentalist kind of became a slur upon people who take their religion too seriously, who believe it too passionately, and indeed, Christian fundamentalists have been lumped in now with. Muslim fundamentals, which, of course, you don't want to be one of those. But all it meant in the early days, the fundamentalist meant that people believed, the Christians believed certain fundamental truths about Christianity. Two of the really big ones were the miracles of the virgin birth and the resurrection. And they basically said, if you don't believe in these two things, you're not really saved. You don't believe the Bible. These are fundamental teachings in the Bible. And indeed, they are, and we want to look today at, at these. We we talk often here about the resurrection, and the resurrection, of course, comes up often in the book of of uh, in the Bible. The virgin birth is spoken about less often, but it's certainly in there, and we want to see that today, and we want to see, see how important it is. So let's go to the book of Matthew as we're talking about the Bible in this Christmas season, and let's see what does it really teach. And, and there is controversy about this, I want you to see here. We'll read from Matthew, beginning with chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary—actually, I'm sorry, this is chapter 1, but anyway. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Betrothal was uh, like engagement, but it was the Jewish engagement was far more than ours. They were considered married. They just were not a family together. They would not come together. They were not living together. They were still in their own homes with their own families at this point. But to be betrothed was a legally binding engagement. Okay, that would be the difference. Our engagements aren't legally binding. Our, our relationships aren't legally binding until you're married. Their engagements were legally binding. But they'd not consummated the marriage. And when she was found to be pregnant, Joseph said, uh, this you violated our, our vows, and he was going to uh, put her away, in, in essence, divorce her, uh, what we'd consider divorce today. But when he had considered this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All right, and so Joseph here is given an angel, says, don't put her away. This is She did not sin. She was not unfaithful. This is something that God has done. This is a miracle. Basically announcing that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, quote, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and you shall call and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So this is clearly taught in the New Testament, clearly taught in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, but is that really really right. If you were to talk to Jewish people who understand and or are skilled in how to interact with Christians, they would say that the verse in Isaiah doesn't really refer to a virgin, that the word is a young maiden, a young woman, and that's all, and that it referred back to the times when Isaiah was alive and giving a, a prophecy of comfort to his contemporaries rather than speaking of something that's going to happen 700 years later with the birth of Jesus. And there is some truth to what they say, so I want to look at this. Let's go back to Isaiah 7.14 and discuss it for a moment. It says, here's, the, here's Isaiah 7.14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, this is the word in discussion here in controversy, a virgin will bear be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, that word virgin is the Greek word, or excuse me, the Hebrew word Alma, A-L-M-A-H, Alma. And it does mean a young woman, or a woman of marriageable age not yet married, and or a virgin. It can mean any or all of those three uh, definitions there. A young woman, a young woman not yet married, marriageable age but not yet married, and or a virgin. And so they would just contend that it should be translated uh, young lady, and that there is another Hebrew word... That can be translated virgin, and if that's what the prophet meant, that he would have used that other word. Well, they so do they have a point? Well, yes, and no, on their side, there there is true, there is another word, and, and also this verse did refer to an event that happened back in the time of Isaiah. On the other hand when the Septuagint was translated. Now, what's the Septuagint? In 250 BC, 250 years before Christ, the Hebrew Old Testament, the, 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 uh, the Torah, the Hebrew Law and Prophets, what we call the Old Testament, was translated from Hebrew into Greek. And in Greek, there is a specific word for virgin, and when they translated this in 250 B.C., when the Jews translated this, it was translated by Jewish scribes, scholars, they translated the word virgin. They translated into Greek, not as a young woman, but as a virgin. And so there's there's good argument to be made on both sides that it's just a young woman or that the Jews prior to Jesus, understood it to be a virgin and a sign of the coming Messiah. Both could be understood. But clearly, in the New Testament, they understood it this way, as a double fulfillment, as something that was written for the, the Jews of that time in Isaiah, a sign that they would receive, but also that there is a secondary fulfillment. And often we see this in prophecies, prophecies uh, of, of the coming of Jesus, and and prophecies even of the second coming where there is a double fulfillment of an uh, intended uh, interpretation to deal with the current times and one also to deal with a future time. And so we, I would argue that, that uh, and the New Testament scholars would definitely, Matthew would definitely argue in the New Testament Christians that Isaiah 7.14 is properly translated virgin and referring to the birth of Jesus. But there's another question. Is it even possible? I mean, come on, we we understand now that we're talking about something that is biologically, physically impossible for a virgin to have to conceive a child. And this, again, is part of the modern movement that wants to take the Bible and just turn it into stories that have inspiration and meaning to us but aren't really true again, they say this of the resurrection. It didn't really happen, but, you know, it tells us that, you know, good, good things can live on, and no matter how hard you try and kill them. And and so this would be a the modern liberal theological point of view that, you know, there's a story here, but it didn't happen. They refer to this in a lot of areas, the resurrection, the virgin birth, the creation, miracles, the Red Sea, all of these things. They take away the powerful, supernatural God from Scripture. But let's look and see what we should take from this. If uh, What should we take from this story? In the book of Luke, it also talks about the virgin birth, and the angel is explaining to Mary what's going to happen. He, t- he tells her, basically, you're going to have a child. You're going to be a child. And she says to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And and it's important to understand here that our God is a miracle-working God. It's not just inspiring stories. These things happened. Our God is a miracle-working God. Yes, It is a miracle. There is no natural explanation for how Mary became pregnant. There is no biological, no, you can't explain it. There's no natural explanation for the Red Sea. You can't say, well, it was just a sea of reeds. It wasn't that deep. That's how they walked through it. No, there's no natural explanation for the creation when God made the world. There's no natural explanation for the resurrection. There's no natural explanation for how the blind could see or the lame walk or the deaf hear. Our God is a miracle-working God. He overcomes the limits of physic of the physical world. We live in this world, but he supersedes them. He is a miracle-working God, and with God, nothing will be impossible. And this is why we must stand on these principles, and we must stand on these truths. We can't be compromising and saying, because we, in our modern uh intellect and our modern education can't explain how it could happen, that that means it did not happen. Here's how it happened. Nothing is impossible with God. God is greater than the natural laws. That's the God of the Bible, and that's the God we serve, and that's the God we love. And dare I add, that's the God who is our Father and who calls us His children. Amen? Amen. The virgin birth is important that we believe in it. It's important that we understand, by the way, Jesus, one reason I believe, the, the Scripture is not real clear on this, I don't believe, but evidently I I think that the sin nature and the effects of the fall of Adam, remember when, when sin entered the world, Eve ate of the fruit, but it says sin entered the world through Adam, and evidently the sinful nature and the consequences of that that fall and that sin are passed on through the dad, through the father. And Jesus, having no biological father, did not inherit those consequences of the, of the fall, and therefore was, was adequate and able to grow up, pass the test, and be our sacrifice for our sins. He had none to pay for, only uh, of his own, none to, of his own to pay for, only ours, and he is the one who gives us salvation. We serve a wonder-working God, a miracle God. Should we pray about it? Let's do. Father, we thank you for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, it was a miracle, and we're reminded of, of these things. It did happen, and we we do not doubt it. We say it is a miracle. It is a miracle of God, just as the resurrection and the creation and the Red Sea and all the miracles of Scripture. Thank you, Father, that you are a God who overcomes natural limitations, overcomes the natural laws, and you invade history and you do the miraculous and the supernatural. And we praise you that with you, nothing is impossible. And I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to be people who live our lives in light of the supernatural God, who live our lives in light of a miracle-working God, who don't just think of what we can do in our strength— but who live our lives, our lives will just crackle with the supernatural, that the miraculous we would see it come to be because we know and love the living God. We bless you, we worship you, and we thank you that as you came to Mary, as you came to Joseph, you can come to us. And we thank you, you love us as you love them. We thank you for the plans you have for our life as you had for them. And might we fulfill them as they fulfilled your plan it was tough. They were falsely accused of things. They were. It, it, it didn't seem right uh, in, in certain things for Joseph not to put her away. But Father, I pray we'd be people who hear your voice and follow your leading, and we too see you work in our lives and through our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. Don't you love the Word of God? Isn't it awesome? Don't you see how it applies to you? What, what, where do you need to see God alive in your life today? Where do you need to see a miracle-working God come alive in your life? Where do you need to see something that all the science and all the, all the natural explanation will say, no, that can't be. It's just a, a, a false hope. Where do you need to see the hand of God? I'll tell you, God is a miracle-working God. Let's believe him for that. With God, nothing shall be impossible. All right, folks, I love you. So glad to have you. If you're new, I hope you'll subscribe to our channel and join us regularly. And if you're a regular here, you know I love you. And so glad to have you along. Until we meet tomorrow, might God bless you and might you walk in faith and in the strength of our God. God bless you. Bye bye.